Welcome to Project Chatter, the podcast where PPM experts from various sectors talk about the latest trends. Listen to Val and Dale as they talk about tried and tested best practices and share their unfiltered thoughts about the industry. Whether you're here to learn how to progress your career, improve your project control skills, or just want to hear an Aussie and South African rant about projects, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Project Chatter podcast with your hosts, Dale Fung and Val Matthews. In today's economic climate, construction cost and schedule overruns can be disastrous. Innate construction software helps you spot risks before they happen. Their cloud-based solutions give you the real-time insights you need to minimize risk and improve operational efficiency. With Innate, you keep projects on schedule and under budget. Get started today at innate.com. That's I-N-E-I-G-H-T.com. Project Shadow supports and is a member of Zero Construct. Zero Construct is a new working group that wants to lower carbon construction. Not everyone will be aware, but construction contributes to around 12 to 15% of total carbon emissions. This is a staggering amount and we need to reduce it. We are a growing community of people that want to help make this change. Everyone is welcome, whether you're an engineer, contractor or consultant, you just need to want to make a difference. Our aim is to grow a network of experts so we can all learn from each other and make a positive impact in the places where we work. We'll do this by sharing knowledge and making it accessible in engaging ways. To join us and find out more, please visit zeroconstruct.com and register as a member. Thank you, and we look forward to speaking with you soon. Hello, project people. Welcome back to a brand new episode of the Project Chatter Podcast. It's always good to have you with us, and we've got a full house today. Martin, how are you, sir? Yeah, good, thanks. And yourself? Feeling a bit precious today, are we? Uh, yeah, I am. But you just froze, so I feel better. Now, Dale, how are you? He's frozen, so he definitely he's, is. Like, he's just gone. Such a demon. Yeah. I think you stumped him, Martin, at the at the feeling of it precious. He's just like, I'm gonna make as if my internet's frozen. Yeah, <laughs> I tried. I did try. You back Were with you us, Dale? <laughs> I'm good, thank you. I'm good. I love the fact that you're here. I love the fact that it rains and your internet goes um, strange in Melbourne mm. of all places. And I love the fact that uh, you had espresso martinis in the early hours and still made the podcast. So well done. Great effort. And still drinking coffee. You know, I'm still here. (laughs) Rain, hail or shine, the podcast will continue. You cannot stop us, Dan Andrews. That's our premiere, just in case you don't know. Uh, Let's let's introduce our guest because we're getting silly. Uh, Sarah Crowley, welcome to the podcast. Uh, Lovely to have you here. How are you? I'm living the dream. (laughs) And not hungover. <laughs> I, I listen. I never said I was hungover. I just said I was precious, and I think Martin took my word. So, I I love the fact that uh, the subject matter for this today we can go into a lot of detail, um, even if my voice is a little bit deeper. But I think that's going to be useful for the listener. So I think, um, Sarah, first of all, how did you get into this um, cold hard mess called projects? And um, let's go from there. So. I almost by accident, although a project director did once point out that my dad was a contractor. He's an Islamic architect, actually, but did set up his own contracting business. And my mum's a nurse. So when I ended up in healthcare, like refurbishment and construction, someone was like, have you ever spoken to somebody about that? And I had never thought of it. Um, But yeah, I kind of fell into it kind of almost kind of by accident. So kind of like from uni, I kind of went straight into it and 
just loved it. Like, I think it's just one of the most incredible industries where you get to do something tangible. It's not just like how many emails you send or how many PowerPoint slides you've like outputted. Um, and you just meet so many interesting people and can work on such varied projects. Um, I also really liked the combative kind of like um, mentality. I think it's like in around like people kind of say a lot more around what they mean. So I enjoyed that as well in the sense of like, and then you could still like have it out and then go for a drink in the evening mm. and like, you know, get on with it. And then the next day, everything's kind of honky dory. Um, but yeah, I just, I just really loved kind of construction um, and healthcare is just kind of well I fell into and I enjoyed it because it felt like maybe sounds kind of you know, maybe a bit sad, but I felt like I was doing something meaningful. So when you're in, you know, refurbing intensive care wards and, you know, looking at kind of installing new MRI scanners, you know, it feels like it really matters. Mm. Yeah, brilliant. And um, and so I, I guess my leading on question is, is how, um, what, what kind of roles have you taken on in the project space and um, which one's the most fulfilling before I get into the Kirby questions? The le- the, I can tell you what the like least fulfilling one is. We can start there and work back, sure, maybe. Yeah. And that would be like contract administrator on an NEC project is just <laughs> not fun. Like you're just a glorified post box. Like no one tells you that. Everyone's like, oh, you're NEC certified. Oh, happy days. It's going to be great. And you're just there. And you're just like just a ticketing system post box. Um, yeah. I did not enjoy it. EWNs all day, right? Just boom, 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 boom. Yeah, here's another CE. Like, we're going to do this early warning. And it's like, (laughs) oh, you know, it's just like such a game and an art. And it's like, you know, I I love the NEC form of contract. And, you know, it's fair. It's, you know, cooperative and all these things. And then it's like all these ZZ clauses inserted at the end of it sometimes. And you're like, oh, it's just undone all this, you know, deep intention. Um, I definitely didn't enjoy being a contract administrator purely because it just took me away from what I enjoy doing, which is delivery. And Mm. it felt like I just became um, like an administrator and I didn't get into the industry to, to do it. And also anybody who has ever worked with me and any of my line managers, particularly the ones at Mace will tell you I am shit at admin. Um, So I I wouldn't say it was like an innate skill, um, and it just stressed me out. I just didn't really particularly enjoy it. And my favorite role, I really enjoy, I really enjoy being like a PM, like in particularly being like on site, contractor side, um, like working with your team, with your supply chain. Um, I've always generally had good relationships with my QS and always been like, they're like your right arm. Um, and I've just worked with some amazing people. And I, I just love project management. I think it's so varied. Um, and you get to do kind of a bit of everything. Some people don't like it because they say like, oh, you're a GP. You're not like a specialist. But actually, I really quite, there's a skill in being a GP. Yeah, I'm delayed, not because I'm blown away, but because my internet is a little bit lagged, Sarah. So um, if you thought I was pausing for effect, I wasn't. But it sounds like we love project <laughs> management on this podcast. And the reason we're laughing is because... Deep down inside, um, there's something around working with people and that's what project management's all about. And I think um, yeah. people who love it tend to love people. Would that be a, a correct assertion? Well, sometimes other people are hell, let's be honest. And there's definitely times where it's like, oh, here we go again. 
But overall, like it just comes down to good communication. And I think the relationships you, when you're on site and you're going, you're in the muck and bullets of it, you form, I think, a different sort of bond with people than you do perhaps in other industries and in other places. And I think, you know, that connection and those relationships tend to really last when you've really gone through through it all. Mm. Yeah, there's something to be said about um, uh, pressure forming friendships, right? Um, you know, under the forge of like a common enemy sometimes. Maybe it's NEC, maybe it's a client, maybe it's the contractor, maybe it's John, you know, because he's a dick. Uh, but we all seem to band together when there's, um, I, I would call it heroic efforts required. And I think a lot of times, and this is why I have problems with like a lot of the statistics that come with projects and success of projects, because a lot of people say, we have a lot of like academics out there, Sarah, I don't know if you're an academic, but a lot of academics will say that the reason projects fail are because of X, Y, and Z, and they're very like tangible things. Um, but they don't measure what actually gets projects across the line. And a lot of the time it's the collective will of a few PMs and engineers and architects and data engineers and contract administrators pulling long hours and, and getting into the trenches, as we say. And um, that tends what get gets projects across the line. Um, is that your experience as well? I cut out there, didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> Just in the middle of like this excellent you know, rhetorical questionnaire that I had prepared for you, Sarah, uh, the internet dropped out. At least, you know, I wasn't lying. I love it. I I love, I love. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) No, we'll, we'll, we'll go raw. We'll go raw unedited. Um, but if we, if we just pick up while, while Val's reconnecting there, I think, I think it's fascinating because we have this, we have this innate ability to, on projects to, I guess, look at things through different lenses. And it's those collective lenses, as you say, that, you know, really makes a, a project tick. And it's so fascinating hearing your story there as well, Sarah, of, you know, your favorite and your least favorite, because we'll have people come on here as well and go, actually, you know what? I love contracts. I love trawling th- through them. We had Brendan Robinson uh, a few episodes ago, uh, you know, and he loves contractual law. And he could literally sit for weeks and weeks on end trawling through every single detail. And he'll know that contract back to front, every single word, which page everything is on and loves it, absolutely loves it. Um, And then you get someone like yourself going, hmm, yeah, not so sure about those head clauses. (laughs) So (laughs) it's it's fantastic. It's fantastic. But if if we, I guess, fast forward a little bit to present day, you now find yourself, I guess, in the in the tech space, right? And I guess we've landed on a topic for this episode on barriers to adoption of technology in, in construction. And you must have seen quite a bit of barriers, quite a number of excuses of why it shouldn't be and wouldn't be done. Uh, if we break that down, first of all, what does technology mean today? Um, in the construction space? I, I think there's like what you can read about in the consultancy papers and kind of like what McKinsey kind of report and there's all this exciting new technology. 
on my like lived experience of it and then like even experience like being on the tech side of it now is that ultimately I would still argue that the, the dominant forces are Microsoft Excel, WhatsApp, maybe some emails and largely still paper. Like they are, they're still kind of the norm. So I think there's, you know, but that sounds maybe like, sounds like negative. Within that, there is huge opportunity. And I think like the legacy um, systems that are there, they're still, um, you know, the, the dominant suppliers, but this huge opportunity kind of in the market. And I do think like we are, like it is changing, like times are changing. And I think as, you know, people are kind of waking up to change. We all have amazing apps now on our phone. And I think we're putting up less with having crap tech at work. And, you know, when you're on site and having these behemoth ERP systems pushed down on you, it's like, well, they just don't get used and they don't work because they don't kind of reflect. So does that kind of slightly answer your question, Dale? Yeah, it does. And and um, it paints a good picture of what you're seeing in terms of you know, what, what's the current norm, as you say, when it comes to technology and I guess some of the challenges and, and the ones you particularly mentioned there are all around communications, right? Um, there's other parts, I guess, of technology that relate more to information, data, decision-making, but I think the ones that you refer to there are particularly communication. And I think I agree with you because regardless of the information we have, if we don't have a the ability to communicate it quickly and fast and have that line of sight and being able to make the decision on the latest information, then we've failed already. Because if the communication is slow, regardless of how good or how um, correct and genuine and transparent your data is, if you're making decisions, it's only getting communicating communicated, you know, a week or four weeks down the line because of your you know, it has to go through reams of different people in the organization to get on some slide that eventually the decision maker sees, you know, it takes you four weeks to get it on that slide back and then four weeks later you review it. So you're eight weeks behind already. Um, it makes sense that communication is actually the key piece to focus on. We talk about communication skills all the time as people, right? Talking to each other, um, verbal, um, nonverbal communication. But when it comes to technology, it's like, how do you bring all of those things to life? And the last podcast, we had human-centric data-driven project delivery. And I think this is actually adding to it as well. This is, a, this is a point of how we can actually bring, using technology, bring communication to the fore and, and speeding it up. So is it fair in me saying that that's sort of where you're focusing is the communication piece? Yeah, so it's 100%. Like, I think that's where, like, kind of the magic is. And I think whilst there is a lot of exciting new technology coming into the market that talks about predictive analytics or kind of AI. Like, you know, on, in one of my last projects, I was like, I didn't need AI to tell me if the wall was in the wrong place. I could read a 2D draw, taught how to read a 2D drawing. And then like, even when I remember like where on one project, the medical gas hoses were just in total disrepair. That's not my background. I, I didn't know what I was looking at. I'd never seen them before. And like, when you first see these things, but there's a specialist subcontractor that does that day in, day out. who have been doing it for 25 years. Sean was like, Sarah, these are, you know, these need to be promptly replaced and a compensation <laughs> event needs to be raised to the client ASAP. Like, you know, here's, you know, I didn't need anything kind of of it, but what, so sh you know, what was so difficult was just being able to capture like Sean's knowledge and then pass that and like pay it forward. Do you know? And because we 
move around so much in construction like it's so rare like if you think about the different subcontractors that all kind of come on board they all move along come in at different times and they go away with that kind of information and even then within project management often it's still rare that the pm that starts finishes Mm. so we move Mm. around and it's like you lose that like thread of like well and often there's a really good reason around why they didn't touch the air handling unit but you just don't know and then it takes ages to try and find that, you know, absent, incomplete, incorrect or outdated information. So I think that's that's where I'm really interested. And in. it's like the human centric bit that you mentioned is like, we're really after that. Like, how do you capture Joe Bloggs's knowledge on site and then link it back to kind of the other like other kind of systems so you can really build the picture around well, what is the story of this project? And like, I think I see, you see all these different systems around that like talk about assets or talk about program talk about risk but when you're on site and you're delivering these things don't live in isolation of each other yet we all have to do all this double data entry and it's like you you know I was just really interested when I was at May some my last project was a shit show to be and I can say that you know it was you know it was just so chaotic and I was like there's a better way of doing this And I was just like, we just need to like sort out the communication narrative to be like, why did we not touch AHU 8? So when it came to commissioning, we had a massive falling out. It would just be, we would have had all of that story kind of prepped. And that's like one example, but that's what I'm interested in and getting all these different stakeholders to communicate with each other and they get their own copy of the information. And then if you want to link it, you can. And this is where I'm so passionate then about coming into it around like data should be interoperable. It should be able to move between different systems. Like you don't need to build like a behemoth new system. You just need to like play well with others. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and I think you're right. And if we move into the, the barriers bit of, of the tech, I think that's part of the problem is we make it so complicated that it is difficult inherently for people to adopt it because it just automatically goes in that art, that too difficult box. Right. And you make it easy. I mean, you talk about WhatsApp, WhatsApp was really, really easy. Now who uses the age old text message, right? Anymore. Everyone's on WhatsApp, even though WhatsApp sort of, you know, was, was, there was a thing a few years back, wasn't it? Where was during the pandemic where they went, Oh, they're going to share all your information. And And then, telegram and there was another one and I was, everyone was threatening to go off of whatsapp but everyone still uses whatsapp because it's just easy and everyone's got it and i feel like you know um those those barriers exist as as you were saying on technology because we make it difficult now if is is there potentially a a, a hidden barrier where people are in their comfort zone um, because one of the things I saw, I think it was a, a clip from a Stephen Bartlett um, interview, and he was saying he was chatting to some tech guru, um, and the speed of change that happens today in a year, in about 20-odd years, 20, 30-odd years from now, will probably happen in 10 to 11 days. And so if we're preparing our kids for the future, we've got to prepare them to constantly be comfortable with change. But I feel like there's a lot of us today, particularly in the construction industry or in project delivery, that are in our comfort zones and we're not used to the rate of change. And so we that is a sort of a hidden barrier to adopting new tech as well because, one, it's difficult in the too difficult box, but two, we're actually just not used to it. And so 
if we're not used to it, we don't adopt technology. Would you agree with that or disagree? I think I would add to it that I don't think as well we're incentivized to, to adopt new technologies in construction. Like there's a, remember like this is an industry where you, you want to do everything to mitigate risk. Why would you adopting new technology or new materials or whatever is inherently risky? Like, you know, and mm. so I think there's something around that and the mindset is like, it's very different. It's just more like oh, risk. No. Um, so I think there's that. And I also think if I'm honest, when you're in delivery, you're in delivery, you're in that muck and bullets, as I mentioned earlier, to look up and put your head above the parapet. Like it's quite hard to be, I, I found it really hard to be strategic. And I was just like, you know, when people say it's like, you know, at the end of the month, I was like, buddy, we're trying to make it to the end of the week. Like, you know, I was, you know, my mindset was just like, we just need to get this piece done. Even if someone had landed on my lap being like, we've got this amazing tool that's going to make, you know, save you like, I don't know, a month of every year of your kind of work and make all my end of month reporting and like suck out all the pain of it. I would have been like, that sounds great. But I, everything was like, was just right in front of me and I couldn't see the wood through the trees. And I think, you know, even now when I speak, you know, to people around like who use our technology or when we're like speaking to new potential clients, you know, like even today there's an amazing engineer. She's like, we're totally in, but we're moving yard and we're so busy and we don't have time right now. So, you know, can we onboard the site team at the end of, you know, the end of September? And I think that is a real issue in the industry as well. Um, would be my second point. So like the busyness of people mm. and that, like, you know. So you bring up a good point though. So who, whose role is it on projects to be innovative and strategic and ha hold the mantle of continuous improvement? Is it the PMO's role? Is this another role? Who's, whose role is it to constantly look at innovating during delivery? If, you know, as you say, the project manager is so focused on delivery, delivery, delivery. That's a good question. I think it depends on what it is that you're what I think it depends on probably what you're trying to pitch in terms of like that benefit. So like which stakeholder is going to benefit the most. I think what I really what what does irk is like I see a I don't think site teams get enough like input into like pushing forward on new tech. I don't think they get consulted enough. I love it when I hear people be like, Oh yeah, we're gonna go check it with our site teams. I'm like, brilliant, absolutely, you should definitely do that. And they just get ignored. Mm. Um, and I see sometimes like people in central office teams push stuff down. And it's like, have you been to site? Like, have you seen the level of like, you know, even if like a PMO gave me like, and it was going to make the client so happy, but it was an extra spreadsheet tab for me to fill in, like you're increasing my working hours. So mm. I, I think it depends on what you're pushing, basically, is what I'm saying. Like, if it's finance software, obviously, you're going to be pitching it to, like, the CFOs, QSs, depending on what it is that you're kind of doing. Designs will be maybe more architects. Um, but I think, I'm not really answering your question, but I think the most, to invert it, the most neglected people in the whole thing around pushing new technology is the supply chain and the people on site. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I think you, you have answered it because like every good project management question is it depends, right? Um, it does depend. It's contextual. And I think, I think you're right. It's the first bit is actually analyzing, you know, who needs it, who will benefit most from it. Is this a solution looking for a problem or is this actually solving a problem that currently exists? I love Edio Bing. I always borrow that one from him. 
but um, also to bring up another previous guest, Joe Little was talking a lot about, you know, as a project manager, learning what happens at site, learning what those delivering the project, actually delivering the project go through in order to help make decisions as a, as a PM. And I think you're right. It's, it's getting that feedback loop. And again, it's a self-fulfilling, it's, it's a circle, isn't it? It's chicken and egg. It's like, we need to improve our communication, okay? But give people the opportunity to improve the com- communication as well. And I think I, I agree with you with when it comes to the opportunities for those actually delivering to, to have a voice. How do you find um, when you work with different, I guess, organizations that those are doing it particularly well at a, adopting technology? How, how do they approach it? What is their forum to give? Because we typically work on massive, large projects, right? And it's, as you say, lots in the supply chain, potentially various sites as well. If you're working like on an HS2, for example, how do those that are successful in adopting new tech, what do they do? Do they have special powers? This is the million dollar question. Any Mm. technology like business that solves it, like feel free to like (laughs) ring me up because I have not fully unlocked it yet. So I think um, it depends on like where you kind of come in. And I think if you, from us and what we've seen in my lived experience is if you come in at like the, like a a project manager or a project director level, like the, that kind of element. And then crucially, if they onboard the site team and get their input quickly, the barriers and the friction to adoption just disappear. And in particular, what's been really interesting is, and I never anticipated this, but there's a lot of fear from site teams around them being tracked. And I, and it makes total sense. And because there's a lot of software coming into the market where they are being tracked. Um, and I was thinking, I would never be, ha- I said, like, I would never be happy with that on my site. And when I hear people pitching it and be like, oh no, it's really important that we put CCTV over the whole like site. I'm like, do you have that in your office? And they're like, no, I would never accept that. So I'm like, well, why would you have it? Why do you think it's fair to like put it on site? Mm. So I think that's one thing I, I just like in around like site teams are like, and hang on a minute. So I think there's one around kind of privacy we've definitely seen. Two is is like typical of like, well, here's another man, you know, here's management coming down with another system that's going to make our lives even harder than they already are. I think that can kind of be a prevailing attitude. Um. So I think the best kind of ones that have adopted it have onboarded them early, explained that it's not tracking the benefits to them, and then have quickly showed like this is how easy it is to use, and this is why it would be beneficial to you. And then ultimately, once they start using it, it can kind of snowball. But you know, they need to see it. You know, these people are you know we're all practical people. You know, they need to see it to kind of believe it. So I think that's really key, and not like um, you know, not that just sending like empty platitude of marketing stuff around high level like i don't know virtually <clears throat> signaling stuff that they know is just a load of cod wallop but that's the uh that's the compounded problem <laughs> no, as i well. love it i love it there's a bit of a compounded problem with the people that make the software and the people that implement the software are not the people that use the software and that's always been a bit of a disconnect don't you think I could wax lyrical on this, yeah. And I think the people that, yeah, the people that procure it, yeah, don't use it. And it's a massive 100%. thing. And I think so much could be solved if you like brought them into the process and they had like a fighting say. And I think because, I mean, in one of the key things I think construction tech is still struggling to kind of be adopted. And it, it, whilst that like it's on its like trajectory and it's improving, it's still not happening at the rate I kind of, I think, we would all wish it to be happening at. 
And I think that's also due to death by multiple stakeholder sign-off, as well as like who controls the budget? Is it IT? Is it the project budget? Where's it coming from? And then that causes huge issues and say like, um, you know, some site teams where they just don't have that delegated authority, they can't, they don't have that purchasing power, so they can't approve it. However, you know, I have seen it where one site manager did adopt some technology and pushed it and got, you know, I remember his commercial director saying at the time, like, if Joe says it's good, I'm sold. I don't need to hear anything more. Like, we're good. We'll, we'll adopt it. And I was like, that's an, what an incredible, I mean, this is a big organization that's got 100 million turnover. I was like, what an incredible organization that they're, they're, they've empowered that site team that much. And the site team, they, that was a bottom-up approach, not a top-down. But the bottom-up approach, I really want to see this, like, groundswell work. And I think that's what will truly, like, unlock a lot of technology but it's not the norm like they don't have that purchasing power and then when you you know hit it departments they quite rightly want to make sure like the i's are dotted the t's are crossed and then you know budgets but then ultimately budgets are already tight like you know yeah. the margins are low who's paying for this they've got a lowest it spend than any other industry hence why like you know it needs to go on its fintech journey and increase but it's not it's not there yet yeah yeah, and I, I see this happening, you know, there's a there's an opportunity, I think, at the start of the project, and Dale and I have talked about this in, in long form, to do it right, so to speak, get the environment enabled and get people onboarded early. And I find what happens is when you go from bid to mobilization to execution, um, the first thing that gets shaved because they realize they can't actually do it for the price they've set when you win the work, let's say, um, is what are the nice to haves? And software is always on that list um, and the associated kind of support structure that goes with it. So any training, any kind of SaaS additionals, any bespoke means. And uh, I saw this great image on the internet. I don't know who built it. It was a great image. It was kind of like all this infrastructure of technology, right, Sarah? And then it was kind of sitting on a fulcrum mm. and the fulcrum was the little icon of Excel. <laughs> and it's like, no matter how far we advance ourselves, the weight of the project is literally sitting on Excel because the back and forth between project yeah. interfaces and environments is still the same product from all those decades ago, 30 plus years ago. We're still using the same format because what ends up happening is we have non-native to non-native talking. And one part of that is the actual market is the SaaS products that are built didn't play nicely. They're getting better, but they're not quite there. And that's because their IP is what they sell, right? So their product innovation is their, you know, their baby. That's how they monetize, which is a, it's a funny thing, actually. And we'll get into that in a sec. But then the second part is once you've got the tools in place, um, you know, how do you get them to kind of all work along the, what you said, the supply chain or the value chain for the project, which isn't vertical such as like the organizational chart so we build this beautiful department orientated functional organizational chart no one delivers a project like that or at least i haven't seen one everyone delivers it from left to right yeah there's a supply chain of work that goes from and particularly in necs i think that's even more um apparent but i've yet to see a product or a technology tool or at least a, a neighborhood of tools that enables an end to end which we've heard a lot right end to end end-to-end project delivery framework um, with seamless integration. What's your, what's your view on that? 
I think the supply chain get they in order to solve this problem, they have got to be like involved and tech has got to be um made available kind of to them like i think we see a lot of like what i find really interesting is people sell software business to business but that's not how construction works you know you can have hundreds of different subcontractors delivering you know works on one project it's not one business um at all and i think until we start you know building software that kind of reflects that and allows that you know supply chain to communicate with each other easily and get its own copy of the information to avoid any double handling um yeah, I just, I just, I can't see, I can't see the situation kind of getting better. And I think, you know, now we're seeing much more kind of a, you know, a, it's, I still think it's a bit slow, but a groundswell of movement about data being interoperable. But we need to get that right for the majority of the suppliers. Yet we keep all most tech is built for the tier ones, which are like what naught point naught two percent of the market in the UK. Mm. So you know that that leaves the ninety nine point eight percent, and I'm like. We haven't got it right for them. And I think, so I think that's one thing around you can't ignore them. And the second thing is I just don't think, my hypothesis is, is that are the dominant suppliers now going to be the same in the next decade if they don't start adopting data, like open kind of data standards rather than kind of like locking you in? And I think my guess is, is that those that, allow information to move between different systems to allow this kind of end-to-end this linking will be the market leaders in the future but if they can't just lock them into the proprietary system now that's working for them and they're making a lot of good revenue out of that but i can't see that working in the future because it just doesn't reflect how construction and the built environment works let alone then when you go into you know fm and handover and you know all of that and you know I'm yet to see a digital twin survive contact with the construction project that's probably we're going to digress well i think what you get is you get uh, you get resist resistance builds up because things are harder than just doing them manually right if you have a tool let's say you've got a yeah. hammer and the hammer is effective right let's say a hammer in a nail is effective it's not as effective as other tools but if it's easier and the access is there and you have the skill set you're going to go to the hammer every time. And then someone says, I've got electronic hammer. And you probably see this invention and it's like, goes automatically. It's a completely waste of time. It's probably, it probably serves the use case, but it's not effective in terms of implementing into a project at scale. So there's, I think you also get this potential uh, resistance or even idiocracy where they go backwards and they go to dumb tools because the smart tools don't talk to each other. Yeah, and the, I mean, you're breaking up a little bit here, but, you know, if we're all honest with each other, you know, as you say, like with the Microsoft Excel, that is the backbone, let's be honest, like that is the market leader. And um, sadly, it, it, it does what it does kind of so well, but it's not, it's just not, it's not going to change unless we, unless we build it, you know, we build tech that reflects for all of the supply chains kind of communicate on and it's that it's you know it's off the shelf it's accessible it's easy to deploy you know it avoids excessive customization and crucially you don't need ridiculously expensive consultants to implement it for you um but at the moment the prevailing attitude is we survived it before why should we adopt you know we survived it before why should we adopt 
new tech now like you know excel has been our backbone for as long as it has been we've still delivered we're still around we're still you know we're still here um what real value add are you actually really going to tangibly give me to my business that microsoft excel doesn't already give me yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now, is Martin still on the line? I'm sure he's got some questions uh, sitting back there. All yeah, I can see is there. a very I'll creepy smile of Martin. Your technology and I'm hoping that um, he's still there. I, Martin, are you there? Follow on from. <laughs> if I follow on from he's not uh, Val's question, <laughs> there, and what have we done with LinkedIn Dell's as well? How can we get better at, at learning and sharing data across the sector? You know, in, in terms of learning, people are it's more than willing to share their war stories. <laughs> from, you know, their, their kind of crazy site experiences. No, he's gone. Well, we carry on without him. Dale, over to you, mate. Any questions? It's going to be great listening. I know, um, it's going to okay. be great. I'll listen back <laughs> to this. On this. Um, but um, uh, Martin, keeps so going. Yeah. <laughs> you know, people enjoy sharing their, their war stories from um, project experiences. Um, but there's not much in the way of open source materials like we had for Crossrail Learning Legacy, just just to name one. And you, you touched upon some of those open standards earlier, kind of similar to what's in the in the fintech market. For, what, what kind of standards would you recommend for the sector and, and whose responsibility is it to, to set those standards and create it? The, I think, you know, obviously the easiest is top down and it's government and it's legislated kind of down. And I think they are exploring that obviously in February. They, they, I think they, that's what February this year, they closed off their interoperability kind of review and kind of assessment. Um, and I think it'd be good to kind of see some secondary legislation kind of come out of that to really drive impetus to rounds, be like, actually, like, you know, we, this really needs to kind of be, um, resolved within the industry if we're going to move forward and drive real kind of productivity gains at, um, at a meaningful kind of level. Um, I think there's that. I think client organizations play a really big part in the sense of they need to recognize that they need multiple stakeholders to input their knowledge. And I think there needs to be a, a movement in capturing data that really matters, not to keep other people in jobs or it's a tick box exercise. Like that's something that's, I think is really kind of important. And then from an open, so an open standards, I think needs to be top down driven. And I think the client plays a very important organization plays a very significant role in driving change and not capturing information for the sake of capturing information. Um, and like what is what is really kind of important and kind of crucial. Um, and then I think tech providers and tech solutions need to start playing well with others. So having open APIs where you can move data. Um, I think, you know, there's things like, you know, ACC, like, you know, being in different, allowing different solutions to kind of talk to each other or live in kind of an ecosystem together, together where, where yeah. someone can, you know, someone can come. Is that because of Val? That's because of Val. Keep going. Okay. He's going to have to unmute himself when he talks. This is going to be great. Okay. The, um, <laughs> I can't remember my point now, but Always it was well. around, like, I can't remember what I was saying. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna um, so going to be honest. I've lost my thought with Val. Tech solutions and, and working with others. What, so this in, edit's so, going to be amazing. Kind of go back to the <laughs> point you made. I don't know if it was a flippant comment, but you said data that matters on on site. What what would you what in an ideal world? What what would be that kind of data? It's 
in the sense of like around change is a massive one, right? Like change mm-hmm. um, and being able to kind of record that would be like an absolute key one for me. Um, I've been here. This is kind of what I've done. I think being, being flexible, not not like the tick box exercise, like have you put on your shoes today? Have you, I'm being facetious, but like, you know, have you got two gloves? Are you wearing glasses? Like these things that are obviously very important, but you're like, why am I filling this in once a week? Like it's, you know, and you just tick box and it's like, it goes off into a PDF that maybe goes somewhere on SharePoint and it just dies and unless something goes wrong and then it gets dug out and you can use it for commercial defensibility. But I think, you know, ultimately I really believe that people on site know what they're there to do they are smart people they know kind of what matters and I really believe and I think you have a QS talking about this I don't believe in like the dream is like oh we all share everything but that's like a rare where rainbows and unicorns are it's never going to happen you need and you should be controlling like who sees what so certain things that will happen on site and you're like I don't I don't need the client to see this like it's been within reason that, you know, obviously you've got a statutory requirement to report certain things, but there are other things where you're like, the client doesn't need to know this. Like, and I don't, you know, we'll put it up through our like approval, like, you know, review process, but I'm not going to make it available to the client. And I think that's something as well that's really key and needs to kind of be adopted that like we all, whilst I'm talking about open data standards, I'm not, I'm not living in a land or in a belief that it's all like rainbows and unicorns and we all share everything with each other it's like no you you do need to control what subcontractor x but, and subcontractor in, y in that C, scenario is it is that more a commercial challenge or is it the information something else I'm going off on a tangent so obviously here, but... you probably wouldn't want to share pricing information stuff like that i, I get that but it, some of the site information i'm, I'm assuming would be good i think to share. I, no i think kind of enticing yeah and I, and I think in the sense of like what I mean sorry, sorry by capturing them is like they know what they need to, you know, if something is wrong or someone's not done something, they can take a quick photo video and be like, at Dale, this hasn't been finished. Can you flag it with blah, blah, blah. It doesn't maybe necessarily need to see everyone kind of to see it. And they know like, oh, install works. This was like the pre-setup. This is post-setup. This is kind of the work that I've kind of done. They don't need like a paint by numbers 92 page question to tell them like to make sure that they do their job that they're employed and qualified to do that's the bit that I mean and like they kind of when you're on site generally you kind of know what you need to be showing like I've been here this was it when I got here this is it as I'm leaving it you know it's, it's one I'm being like crude here but that's like a you know they know what to report on and then they kind of know themselves kind of what matters like you know they're using whatsapp for that exact same reason so it's like how do you just replicate that with it so on a permission on level but they do know like again what this they could be the ideal scenario, but where do you don't. think things like machine learning and ai can can really help with this is the key thing for me in this space is I think if you take a human centric approach, because if you, I believe in terms of like with ML, if it's shit in, like it's just shit out, right? So if you start capturing their knowledge and you really, you know, like I, I'm not a like kind of an ML expert and I'm, a, you know, but the capturing all of their, all of the site teams and all the different subcontractors and their specialist knowledge, you can create an LLM that way. And then use that to train an adaptive learning algorithm. But it's built off of 
real tangible knowledge um not something where like you know sometimes I'm like you know a program on something things like often these things are like the the a skewed version of the truth because you're playing a game and you're like oh we've put some float here and we're gonna put this in here so it's not like a reflection of the real truth so sometimes I'm always like but is it like you know is it really that you know so I think I really believe in like capturing like you know Joe Bloggs's knowledge on site or Sean's or Emily's and the works that they're doing and capturing that and then what's crucial I think is within that is linking it back so if you want to link it to the p6 program or to asta you can and training something that way or to assets to you know to uh, you know if you're using Celebri or using microstation whatever it is but cross-reference it and building up this huge cross-reference library that's but is built from the people that matter the most and the ones at the coalface doing the bloody work because we just seem to be ignoring them and I'm like that's where the magic is and no one's tapping into it and it's driving me nuts because I'm just like they're the ones there they're doing it they're seeing it they're living it they know it better than anybody else but we're everyone's ignoring them yeah I I I think you're spot on there Sarah because if you and and Marco Frisendo has been on this podcast a few times he he would give you a hug and say I totally agree with you because how many schedules are as built and you know we're trying to make decisions off of these these schedules and i think i think we're probably you know a lot of tech founders and owners in the construction space will probably they will admit they'll say you know it's not going to it's not going to give you the answer it's not going to prescribe to you what to do um but i think where we've landed with it and you know we had we had quite a few questions around ai and ml when chat gpt sort of first broke towards the beginning of the year and what does it all mean and i think we're all pretty familiar with it now. And I think we're kind of happy with that. Actually, you know what it does for us? It just gives us a head start. It, it's automation. It does things a bit more quicker and gives us a few hints and tips, but it doesn't give us the exact answer. And you still got to go and understand the context around which you're making those decisions. And, you know, um, how well can machines learn? Well, you know, I think the the jury's still out, um, as I say. Um, I, I, I think... It, it, it takes a whole bunch of, it's the wisdom of crowds, right? Theory. Take a whole bunch of information and, and, and give you ag- on aggregate what the best potential answer could be. And then you ask it to regenerate and it'll give you a different answer or slightly different. And so I think it's the, the, the key there, the key advantage is more on how we as humans use the technology rather than purely just copy pasting and going with it and being lazy. Um, so yeah, it's, <laughs> I think if we oversimplify it and make it too easy as well, that's probably not really a barrier to adoption, but I think that's a failing on us on how we use technology successfully to deliver better outcomes on projects. And um, it's interesting talking to you because I love the way you think about bringing the human side with technology from the actual site those delivering you know on site because it's often i mean before technology i can think back you know a couple years back we said the same thing like who's going to site who's actually going there like in the pmo in controls right instead of sitting on your computer and looking at primavera or you know cost performance tool or a report have you been to site have you actually seen what's going on there 
or is it just a, a bar that you're looking at, right? And you typically, or I typically found that those project planners that went to site, those that, you know, the commercial managers, those that typically had office jobs, those that went and went to site and spoke to the engineers, uh, spoke to those delivering, had a better understanding and better idea of what was going on. And, you know, it's around ultimately, like, I remember like a planner once ringing me up and I was like, how's it going with the first fix, Sarah? I was like, yeah, it's about 63%. It's like, <laughs> based on any other evidence or have you got anything? I was like, no, like, because you, know, you all remember like, well, it's, you know, when you're in it, you like, you remember what happened. If I say to you like, what, what have you done this week? I say, what did you do last week? And if I said to you like, oh, what were you doing in the first week of August? Maybe August is a bad month because everyone, you know, everyone, everyone was on holiday. But like, if I say to you what you're doing the first week of June, for instance, you're not going to like, I'd be very surprised you're going to remember. And it's the same thing. And it's like this, and it's like the end of month is like this ring round of like, oh, what happened? Um, and then you're scrambling it. You're kind of scrambling it all to kind of together. And, you know, you're in the 20th WhatsApp group, putting the photo out. You know, I swear we got a photo of this somewhere. Where is it? You know, digging it out. And yeah, I just think that is absolutely key. And if you you need to create tools that reflect, reflect how, how works to live, live, you know, you know. mobile first. Oh, here we go again. Oh, I got right. him. Don't right. worry, I got right. him there. Nick okay. him in the bud. <laughs> and you know, how do you build up like uh, a true picture of what's happening on site and on your project? So you have that kind of greater visibility. And you know, and PMOs are like, you know, they serve their purpose really well. But how do they access easily that information? And that you know, is ultimately. You know, is ultimately you know, the dream, yeah, the dream is, is, is that it's, you know, in, it's in, real in, in real time. Yeah, I think, Val, you got to stay on mute until you need to talk. Otherwise, we'll hear echoes. Sorry, Sarah, you, you keep keep going or have you lost your train of thought again? No, I don't know. I just said, I just saying around, like, you know, PMOs, like, they, it's so important that you know they're desperate to build up this visibility and i think there's some you know some amazing bi tools and stuff that are coming out we, we've, we've jokingly talked a lot about excel and that's great but there are some you know other incredible tools kind of coming into the market now that are becoming more accessible give you that kind of control and the project managers i think are you know often taking on you know the savvy ones that you know that are tech savvy you know wanting to kind of connect their own sources and you know have a go on looker or power bi um but it needs to be connected to sites kind of you know create a data pipeline from site that can feed into these different systems and that can give PMOs, different teams, the visibility that they need and they can skin it up how they need to then do their reports. Um, how much does uh, remote working affect what we're talking about these days? I think it's facilitated adoption in a certain sense where there's like a greater appetite from like a visibility of kind of what's happening away especially with things like covid where you couldn't it, you know it was controlled around who could who really needed to go to site and who didn't and around like well how do you close that feedback loop and i think it probably highlighted it you're saying like you know ultimately you know sometimes and there is on certain projects where you're like i don't believe you that it's done and you literally need to go down and see it with your own two eyes to be like okay it's definitely done but like you know it's like oh, fool me once but fool me, not fooling me <laughs> twice buddy but, um you know it's but i think you know with it facilitated adoption in certain regards um in the sense of like that that f need of visibility of what 
is happening on site, I think has increased. And I think generally, since, you know, whilst people are going back to the office and stuff like that, you know, I still think a lot of central teams and um, perhaps like, I don't have experience of this, but like PMOs, like they're not, they're still going down, they're kind of less. So they still need that input and knowledge from, from the teams on the ground. And if they're going down less to sites, let's say, are we, are we, I guess, are we getting PMOs that are less capable, less experienced of actual delivery? And because let's face it, a lot of the information on many projects on almost every project goes to either project control slash PMO, whatever you want to call it. And if we're getting people that are working in the project controls or PMO team, they have less and less site experience and those those teams are turning that data into information to make decisions on and telling the story of what that data actually means yet they don't understand what's happening on site because they have less and less experience does it mean we're making poorer decisions does it mean we're making I would argue yes, but then I would argue why the hell are you employing like people in the PMO that have got no experience? I mean, I would like I I really subscribe to the school of thought where like you need if you're gonna you should need to be you need to have experience in what it is that you're like reporting on to at least understand it. And I think to not go down there. And I think I, mean, I don't know if I'm dodging your question, but. I mean, I really, I'd be really surprised if any any decent contractor would ever take anybody that would be like, no, I'm not going. I mean, I mean, there's a massive call and push to come back to the office anyway. Mm. And I think construction is construction. It delivers its work in situ. If people aren't willing to go to site, I mean, for me, I'd be like, here's your P45, like if it was, if it was me. And I think because otherwise, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. But if you don't know what data is coming in from site, I mean, you're not even competent. You know, you shouldn't be even doing your job. That could be catastrophic. I mean, that could, that could go horribly, horribly wrong. Yeah, in, so in, I, that, I, that's my opinion. No, I I love that you shared your opinion because because I, I I share I share your view on the world as well. But you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. Anyone with a heartbeat and that's got Primavera on their CV these days seems to be able <laughs> to get a planning job. Um, yeah, it, it's 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 dire sometimes, and then you know you you kind of ask them, well, how do you do this? Open P six and show us, and you're like, mm, okay, that's a bit of a struggle. I I once heard a story. I won't name any names, any organizations, or anything, but um, a person came in um, for a large organization from a consultancy as a project controls manager. And saw something in Excel and went, is that Primavera P6? <laughs> but then it's funny that you mentioned kind of that, like in the, I think like my my tech bugbear in the sense of like, uh, you know, you were mentioning earlier around like um, solutions looking for problems. Yeah. And I don't know what your guys view on this is. My view is, is like, I see certain people that have never, that have no background in the industry, like nothing, not an iota. And they come into it and they're like, this is what's wrong. You need to adopt this tech and it will solve it here. And you don't know what you're talking about. And they're talking to you like you're stupid. Yeah. Um, and that, and they know better. And they're like, they've got this solution and it's going to solve all of your problems. And you're like, and it sounds all, I call it like jazz hands. And I'm like, have you ever been to site or have spoken to anyone that's, 
actually then going to have to implement or like use that. So for me, my my thing is around on that is where I'm seeing it come into the tech side of these people. Like, and they don't even, I mean, at least that person knew what Microsoft Excel was or, you know, so they had some, but I'm seeing like people that come in cold into the industry. And there's two schools of thought on this. There's one where it's like, no, in order to like drive true change in the industry, you need to come from it. And that's kind of my, my background. So I, that's my bias to it, let's be honest. But there is the other side of the coin. It's like, well, no, you can come into the industry knowing nothing about it. And you have a greater awareness of what can actually probably, you have a more strategic overview around how you can really drive that change. And I don't know the kind of the answer. We've not seen enough kind of unicorns in the space and winners yet to kind of make a judgment call on that. But I do find it interesting slash very, very, it really puts my back up when I see them come in and they sell at like like some absolute shit and I'm like and then someone who and then that person it will go to the p6 person that's not a p6 person they've never seen it and it's excel um and they'll be like this is amazing we're gonna buy it now and you're like and then you know x software gets left on the shelf even though it would deliver real value for the business and drive kind of that real kind of change and meaningful impact yeah and you know the thing is I, I actually think you hit the nail on the head and for me, it's the difference between but and and. So here's the school of thought of you have to have the experience to know what to do. And here's the school of thought going, actually, if you don't know, if you don't have the old bad habits, then you can actually apply good, clear thinking. But actually, what if you did both? And going, actually, here's what we used to do. How can we build on top with this thinking? So it's not yeah. replacing one, but it's going and have we thought of this? And I think you're right because of the industry we're in and there's this, you know, it's combative and it's robust. There's this always this, there's always a fight to be picked. I don't know why in, in our industry. And you're like, stop fighting. Like just be open-minded, grow in a, in a considered way. Um, but it's always this versus that agile versus waterfall, this versus that, you know? Um, and I find it quite interesting, particularly speaking to people like yourselves on this, on this podcast it's it's refreshing to to get the views of going actually you know what you can have both if you do it in the right way and yeah and, and i hope those that listen to this you know sort of pick up on that and because this is the, the key thing of why we did this podcast is to share perspective and i think that's what you're getting at is everything you've said for me is around gaining perspective you know if you're sitting in the office can you get perspective of what's happening in at site if you're at site, potentially, can you get perspective of what decisions need to be made in the office and why they're being made? You know, when you're looking at adopting technology, do you mm. have the perspective on why you need to ad adopt the technology, what problems it's trying to solve, and then potentially you'll be able to engage better, faster, quicker with that new technology. And if you have the perspective of, of what won't work, then maybe you don't want to adopt that technology. But I think I think it's that all-round perspective. But look, we don't want to keep you all night. We've been speaking to you sort of for the best part of an hour. Were there any other sort of topics you wanted to cover before we sort of head towards the end of the podcast? I mean, there's loads to talk about, <laughs> like the thing, but I think we've covered like some key things and to spare everyone's ears, I think we've probably, I think we cover quite a bit, so I'm good, but there's always more to talk about in this space. And I think construction tech is a incredible space to be involved in at the moment so and there's plenty to speak about as you well know 
Yeah, it, it's a fascinating space. And I think we're at the tip of the iceberg and, you know, hats off to folk like yourself for pushing the boundaries and, you know, bringing, bringing fresh perspectives to, to the industry. I think it's really, really important. Um, let's test Val though. Val, are you still there? Can you hear me now, I think, I think we've I think, lost I think, him. We've lost him. There you I go. Back. There you go. There we go. I mean, it's most apt to have technical issues on a technical topic. So I appreciate that. Thank you, Premier. Uh, it was a great conversation. I just think maybe a lasting question from me, Sarah, to wrap up the podcast in such a wonderful way would be to talk about the future. And we often talk to a lot of guests about their predictions for the future. What is yours given the large, I think what we call critical mass of things like generative AI, large language models, machine learning, entering the mainstream and monetizing their products. What's the, with that context in mind, what is the future of construction without saying Excel? <laughs> uh, what's your view on that? I think, like I, can't, I talked at length, you know, like length and Martin, I don't think I really answered your question earlier. I and mean, I can talk more kind of around this, but I think the future of it is open data standards. I think that's going to become more and more important to individual businesses, to government. You know, we haven't talked about the, the you know, the rack issue in schools kind of at the moment that's been found kind of in other buildings. We've obviously had Grenfell, you know, um, you know, there's this real, um, need and requirement kind of for change at kind of that level and i think you know everyone across you know every single business involved in a project including like client and fm provider having invested interest i think in, in data being open and i think um as i mentioned earlier i think the key winners in the future are going to be the ones that work towards that and work out you know how they play well with others and martin like what does that actually mean like how is that going to be done how are we going to do it um and, and driving kind of that um, so I think that's one. And I think in the space of generative AI, I'm, I am no expert in the space. And as I say, like, I've, I re I'm really interested in the boring technology around like solving like the real kind of core basic problems and getting that kind of right um, and building kind of that pipeline. But for me, I think that human centric, like capturing that knowledge at the coal face across that supply chain and then building, let's say that LLM, and then using that to train, I know, an adaptive learning algorithm or creating an, I don't know, a large language model, but it's built on real industry knowledge, not on like a PDF that's on a health and safety leadership tool that was done 12 months ago versus like, or a project plan <laughs> that you might have lied into the client and hidden certain things in, you know, that, and I think, you know, kind of really kind of capturing that, but making it open-ended. So as well and around like um. And what I mean by that is like, you know, like um, it could be anything and training it off of that and around kind of what comes through as well as like, you know, I'm really interested in playing well with others and then linking into those systems to say like, we'll link in different, we'll bring in different assets that teams can link just really easily to that asset. And then well, what can then happen um, later? But look, I think for the future, I think there's some really exciting, awesome stuff coming and it's always already here, but let's get the like let's get some of the basics right and let's create tech that's not just for the tier one contractors there's 99.8 <laughs> percent of the market like to go like and we need to you know they need you know that's where the magic is that's where the bulk of the work is delivered 
And I think uh, the future for me in terms of technology is building tech that serves those smaller suppliers that really that, you know that truly deliver that work and i think they've been too long ignored and i think the future is with them amazing amazing i hope fell's internet provider was, is listening to you just at the end there about providing <laughs> tech that works um because <laughs> he's dropping in and out he's interrupting us making us echo but it's never a project chatter podcast without a few bloopers in it as well sarah um i'm gonna put martin on the spot we haven't done fiverr in a little while so piece Martin, of advice for people if new you're to ready, the project. explain to uh, well, sure. you probably know what Fiverr is, Sarah, but if you don't mind questions. taking Sarah um, through the post. Okay. So if we five quick fire questions uh, about yourself. So <laughs> let's let's make a start. Question one. What's your one <laughs> Nice. And that answer resonates with uh, Dale there. I can see him laughing. Um, number two, what's the big fashion? Um, own up when you don't know something because most of the time people are really happy to share what their knowledge is and don't pretend that you know what it is. Biggest misconception about project management? <laughs> All right, that, no. you need to be, that you need to be organized. Uh, That's total bollocks. You can usually tell from, oh, excuse my language. But uh, the, um, I always think that you get fresh grad that's come straight out of university and they tell you they've read kind of a book or like a medium article and they tell you it's about organization. It's not, it's about communication. So I think, yeah, there's no amount of organization that's going to, you know, it's going to cut and make a successful project. It's people, communication. Ooh. Uh, i like to think a bit of both really that's a cop-out answer but i like i like to believe that you can like you can you can you can get there i think you i don't know that's a that's a that's a that's a difficult question that i mean we could be here for another hour trying to unpick that if i'm honest with you but like like Um, what's your what would be your book recommendation to our listeners Um, really like Quiet by Susan Cain. I think it's really underrated. Um, I don't know if you guys know that, but like it, she debunks the school of thought that those that speak the loudest are the best leaders. Um, and I think, and she, and she goes into her research is super thorough into this and she looks at actually the best leaders probably follows on quite well to your last question. Um, you don't need to be the ones that like shout the loudest to be the most successful. And then what does that actually kind of like really look like? And the second thing I think I just love this is she totally like rips apart the concept of open plan officers. And I hate open plan officers, like with no, with the weather's total. And she looks at around the impact on the teams um, in, in, in that regard. Um, it's a really interesting. Finally, she's if you really had your time again, a, would you go straight book. into oh, wow. construction, consulting, some, something else? very easy to kind of like be like can I go back in terms of I'm kind of comfortable with the choices I've made I mean sometimes I think crap have I made a very poor decision going from construction to tech side because it can certainly the highs can be very high but the lows can be very low as well um but the I'm pretty I'm pretty good with some of a lot of the choices I've made if I'm honest and you know someone reminded me an infrastructure director reminded me a while ago he was like well Sarah 
you know, regardless, it's like, even if you come back to construction in 10 years time, it's not like it's going to have moved on too much for you to like pick up. So, 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 but I think all in all, like, I'm good. It's a, you know, construction is an awesome space. Everyone should want to work here. And I think we start championing it. Like we beat it up a lot. And I, you know, we speak, and there's a lot of negative, it gets a lot of negative press, but overall it's a kick-ass industry to work in. Absolutely. I, I totally agree. And yeah, that resonates with me. Sarah Crawley, it's been fantastic. I've loved having you on the show. I think Val has as well the intermittent bits he's managed to listen, but I'm sure <laughs> he'll listen back and find lots of humor as will our listeners. So thank you so much for being such a great sport. Thank you for being so open with your thoughts and opinions as well. All of our guests are, but you know, I think the listeners will gain a lot from what you're saying and that that perspective is key. Um, and yeah, before we let you go, is there any final thing thought you want to leave our listeners with i think if you're looking at any tech at any point over the next kind of now or in the future make sure you pay attention to where does it sit can you get it out um who owns it um it's your data at the end of the day and i think it's to be savvy on you know where that's stored and processed and that it is your data it's yours and it should therefore you should be able to do what you choose with it and don't let um tech suppliers dictate that to you you have a lot of power there and whoever you go with and whoever you talk to um i think those are two really really important um considerations fantastic what two great takeaways to take away for the listeners really really appreciate your time as i said it's been an absolute privilege and pleasure to have you on our podcast and we'll definitely have you back again for a part two Cool. Well, thanks so much. And yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, hopefully without the uh, echoes next time and a working Val with working technology. Um, but there you have it, folks. That is all we have time for on this episode. But remember, please help us pay it forward and share a link to this episode on your favorite social media. Once again, a massive thank you to our guest, Sarah Crawley. And thank you all for listening. Till next time, we say stay safe, be disruptive and have fun doing it. From me, Martin. And a little bit of Val. Nice one. It's bye yeah, for now. That was really good. For more information, blogs, or to support our charities, visit projectchatterpodcast.com. And if you would like to sponsor the podcast, get in touch via our website. You can also leave us a voice message via our anchor page and let us know if there's something or someone specific that you would like on the podcast. Views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the participating individuals and not necessarily to the individual's employer, organization, committee, or other group or individual. Additionally, any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual.